Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spooky, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Flawless. Flawless take two on the intro. Flawless victory. We only are flawless. We that is us. We are known as the one take podcast, really. (laughs) That's That's right. Except when the first take take. (laughs) features just a perfectly timed toilet flush from just (laughs) outside the room that I recorded. (laughs) Which just happened. (laughs) It certainly did. On that toilet flush note. Welcome, everybody, to episode 72. Welcome. Welcome to episode 72. It's hip to be square, Huey Lewis, 72 of Huey Lewis and the news. (laughs) And the news. The news is 72? Interesting. That's Huey Lewis of Huey Lewis and the news is 72. Uh, My mother, who canonically does not listen to this podcast, will tell Mm -hmm. you that one time on a bare naked ladies cruise, she shared a hot tub (laughs) with, I believe, the drummer for Huey Lewis and the news. Incredible. (laughs) Oh, God. The beginning words of that sentence I will never get over. Oh. Oh, my God. That's funny. Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Jane Seymour, 72. Love Jane. Ooh. Love her. Love Love her. her. 70s TV personality and Bob Mackie enthusiast, Charo, 72. Charo. Did you ever watch Thumbelina? The animated yeah, film Thumbelina. Yes, I did. I did not. Charo is in it. There is a she plays a little frog who looks she like does. Charo if Charo was a frog and sings a song I love it. and she's Charo. <laughs> if you're not following Charo on Instagram, you really should. Give her uh, you know give her I'm a follow not. because she's oh my God, wonderful. I'm not. All she wants to do I, is make videos about eating organic fruits. Fruits from her backyard. <laughs> the sunshine Excellent. on your feet. I eat fruits That's from her backyard. Absolutely. I love that. All right. I can't think of any quotes of his from The Rock, but welcome to The Rock. Ed Harris is 72. Oh. Ed Harris? Okay. That was- <laughs> Ed Harris, the bad guy from The Rock who, like, wasn't really a bad guy. It was like the government screwed over me and my men and Revenge. were on a path of vengeance by taking over Alcatraz. It's not the... First time that people have taken over Alcatraz for great no, reasons. No, it's not. The future subject of the pod, Leonard Peltier, is one yes. of the people who took over Alcatraz. Anyway, from my childhood guilty pleasure television show, Just Shoot Me, Wendy Malick, 72. Nice. She was the tall, uh, like, yes. she was also in Hot yes, Cleveland. Yes, with a bob. Yes, she was in Hot oh, Cleveland. total babe. Yes. Total yes. babe, yes. Absolute babe. Absolute babe at 72. Finally, I mean, we don't have a lot of awesome ones. 
Oh, no, you know what? We I'm going to close with the absolute awesomest one. My crush forever, Kurt Russell is 72. Oh. Whoa, nice. Right. I love Kurt cool. Russell. Looks- I love all of his movies. The Thing is great. Big Trouble in Little Absolutely. China is great. Fucking the, the ones where he's Santa and Goldie Hawn is Mrs. Yes, Claus. Yes, they're so cute, though. I know. They're, they're bad. They're pretty cute. But A but Christmas Chronicle, I think. Yeah. I only saw and the he's first. Still one. got fucking amazing hair at seventy two. Great hair. He has Truly. great hair. It really. He found up his hairstyle in nineteen eighty one, and he kept it. He escaped from New York in it. He escaped Truly from LA has. in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, never look back. Never. Look. Those are all pretty good seventy twoers. So yeah. I feel like we're in good shape for this episode. Yeah, yeah we yeah. really are. We've set us up. Well. There were some duds in the mix, but I skipped them. You know. <laughs> Bright side. Not everybody oh. deserves a shout out. They made it to words. 72. How about that? There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's, that's your reward. Mm-mm-mm. How was your weekend, Kev? Oh, what? What? How was my weekend? At, Mama. At a left field. Mama. <laughs> Miss Alyssa weekend. Edwards, how was your weekend? Yeah. My Ms. weekend <laughs> was fantastic. Big Library and I went mm-hmm. down to Central Virginia at this restaurant experience hotel b&b thing it's called the inn at little washington it's been around for about 45 years it is a three-star michelin restaurant and what what in the middle of virginia yeah and the only one outside of uh i think dc new york and or dc la chicago i don't remember we got it as a gift for the wedding and it was okay i was all right, fancy gift. It was fancy, and it was wonderful. We had such What'd a blast. You eat? Oh my god, the best things! It, it, okay, so um, there was afternoon tea when we got there. So uh, mm. we also <gasps> did they do? Did right. they do so the, it's like, a towers of little treats. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yes. How was your cucumber sandwich? It was spectacular. Oh my! Was god. there actually cucumber sandwiches? There was. There, uh, there oh, was. And then there was a little uh, Virginia ham, little <laughs> mini quiche. Oh. And- that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, and then they have really good pastries uh, also for tea. Mm. And afterwards, you dress for dinner. Big library and I felt Shut underdressed. Up. We had only button-down shirts and belts and shoes for like dinner. Were no people tie. like black tie no for dinner? Not black tie, but they um suit and jackets. It was a lot of that. So it was fancy. We did like the whole tasting menu thing that had like the wine yes. pairings. Mm-hmm. You must it was in so this mind. isn't dinner. This is an experience. It was. It was a full-on experience. It was I spectacular, delicious. Were there tiny little portions? There because were. the fancier the restaurant, the tinier the little portions. I've oh, seen Top Chef. Just I've more seen of all like these things. And a mouche bouche. They brought out, I think, five or so plates before dessert. Okay, so they're all yeah, small. Yeah, yeah. Were you full at the end? Absolutely. Good. Oh my god. All right. Good. Oh, so good. So we just got back uh, yesterday and it was an experience and I'm so happy we went and and I had a great time. Wonderful. But yeah, this, how was your weekend, my love? My weekend was wonderful. Saturday was National Indie Bookstore Day, which everybody knows I'm a sucker for it. I went to my favorite little feminist, I call it a queer bookstore because there's so much queer stuff there and the people who work there are generally queer, but they call it a feminist bookstore and it's 
adorable. It's like the first floor of like an old Victorian house. And like, uh, it's just oh, that's too really, cute. it's really good. And uh, so like, it's not like a bookstore normally. So like this would have been the dining room and this would have been the study kind of thing. Oh, so that's cool. cute. It's really, really, really cute. Um, and I got, I got some cute books. It was an event. So your girl was uh, overwhelmed by other people. Um, yeah, and it's, yeah. a t- it's a, it's a tight space cause it's tight. Mama, didn't you have your blinders on mama? <laughs> your horse blinders. So you don't get spooked. It's yeah. not the sight of humans that spooks me. It is the, it is the proximity. That's what I'm saying. Me. It would hide your periphery. So oh, you can only see a head. You, you can still feel their Listen, physical presence. You can I, sense I it. have, right, I have a plush and soft body. You cannot help but bump into it. And it's nice. I get it. Anyway, I was just helping out a bookstore. It was not like there my you go. normal. It's Indie Bookstore Day. Perusal. Yes. That was good. And then accidentally discovered a cheap ass way to make fettuccine with just uh, like, that's a lot of accidents so I was just, happening. Listen, Happy accidents, so I was, it sounds like. I was just going to make pasta with Parmesan cheese because that's all I had in me to do. Yeah. I just was going to have some pasta. I saved some water because sometimes the pasta water, because sometimes mm-hmm. I need it. I saved too much and I put it in there and I was like, Ooh, that's too much. But I already put some cheese on. So I was just like, we'll just thicken it up and we're just going to throw right. a lot more cheese in it. And I was like, Ooh, still kind of watery. So I let it sit and I put some pepper in it and some garlic and it like became a very creamy, almost Alfredo-y kind of Pasta. Mama, it you was, made fettuccine yeah. Alfredo. That is how you, you make made Alfredo. Yourself like a oh. cacio e pepe sort of situation. Yeah, you've. I thought you've done it. You've done. You it. don't oh. need cream for fettuccine Alfredo. I you just need the like Parmesan and, and water. Nope. Oh you've my god. It. Oh my god. I'm accidentally a fucking. Look genius. at you. Mm-hmm. Top chef. Mrs. a top. No, God no. Um, <laughs> if you couldn't tell by everything about me. <laughs> Anyway, so I had a really good weekend and I've got like an afternoon of laundry and cooking and reading. I'm 72 and I How love it. How positively domestic of you. Edie, how was your day? Week and oh, week. Speaking of not leaving the house, I didn't do a lot of that this week or weekends, but I have been playing a lot of Yakuza Kiwami too. It's a remastered second installment in the Japanese game series Yakuza, which is about Yakuza. Yakuza. Uh, And it is so campy in a straight way and campy in like a Japanese, particularly Japanese way. Like there's very. I can explain straight. You'll have to explain straight camp. I get the Japanese camp. So you do you do a lot of. There's like intense stories about tensions within a super complex hierarchy of various Yakuza clan structures. There's like an overarching story with that. And you play this guy, Kiryu Kazuma, and you're also doing all kinds of side stuff that is, you have like side quests and side missions that are super bizarre. And some are very involved. My favorite is right now I've unlocked a mini game within it. It's got like a bazillion mini games in it. And one of them is that you manage a hostess bar 
You hire different girls to work at the hostess bar and you do shifts. You have to give some of them makeovers, but only the platinum girls can get makeovers. Not everybody gets a makeover. Obviously. People come in to the hostess bar, you sit, you chat, you have to do like management things. Like the girls will like need help, need like menus, so I, ice refills I gotta go to or work. whatever. You gotta go to work. So baby. I work in a restaurant. So this a game if you're just <laughs> yeah. working. It sounds it's like a second the job. The best. Oh <laughs> no, no, no. It is the best. It is the goddamn best. It's the fucking best. <laughs> I believe and there's it. some of the um <laughs> it's the best where the camp factor comes in there's like at once there's super intense drama and like punch like very mask punching and then there's like a side story about reuniting long lost family members and then like a really plaintive electric piano starts playing at the end of it like it's (laughs) it's so good all right so not so good camp generalized camp yes and there's it's not like there's it's it's just a very bizarre game series. It's my very favorite game series of all time. It's, you know, not perfect in terms of, like, representation and, like... It's a video game. It's a video game, right? But it, it rules. I highly recommend the series. If you want to start with it, I would start with the relatively new prequel of it called Yakuza Zero, which is truly one of the best games I've ever played in my life. You Spend well, 60 bucks on the game, you get like 200 hours of gameplay out of it. It rules. Work. Cool. Thanks. I just learned a lot of new words. Thank you. Well, that also. Any Yakuza awesome. players who listen to this podcast, if one of you exists, get at me in the DMs at ed underscore fake name. Yes. But until then, we are here in episode 72. And as the audience to die, I am expecting excellence. Will that be delivered today? Y or N? Why? All right, why. Miss. There we go. All right, Edie. Miss, lay it on us. All right. Come on I now. I will lay it on you. We are going to start with a simple word association. Are you ready? Don't underestimate yes. me. <laughs> what do you think when you hear the word dingo? Eight your baby. Australia. Eight your baby. Edie? Exactly. That's right. That's That's right. right. Today we are covering the story. It's not actually infamous. It's not the dingo ate my baby. Interesting. It's a dingo's got my baby. Oh. Oh. Okay. Well, Elaine on Seinfeld said, I think the dingo ate your baby. So did the rest of the world. It's a Mandela (laughs) effect, baby. So you are laying this new truth on us the same way you did with Lizzie Borden with the hatchet and the axe. You cracked that thing wide open. (laughs) Exactly. Cracked it wide open like Lizzie legally did not crack open the heads of her hatchet and not an axe. did not legally do anything. Well, we're also going to talk about somebody who didn't legally or illegally do anything. Mm -hmm. Dingo ahead. Oh, God. I hate myself. You should. Punking. <laughs> I wish the dingoes would take that joke. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. <laughs> we are talking about Lindy and Michael Chamberlain, mainly mm-hmm. Lindy. Let's get into it. We're taking a trip. Let's grab our sunnies and our SBF because we're All headed right. to the Australian outback. That's Don't forget right. your thongs. 
<laughs> yep. Come with me to Uluru in the southwest corner of the Northern Territory. Uluru is a massive sandstorm rock formation sacred to the Aboriginal people in the area as part of the dreaming or the word that is used to explain how life came to be, essentially a creation story. Also, for the ancient and elder millennials among us, Uluru would be familiar from the beginning sequence of the 1990 Disney masterpiece, Rescuers Down Under. Uh Miss, (laughs) Miss... Look I at what I well. googled right now to <laughs> no. make sure that, that I remembered exactly I- <laughs> Uluru from the Rescuers <laughs> Down Under. I saw it when I was looking at this, and I was like, "Why does this look familiar? Why do I know a rock yeah, formation? Why do you know all in about Australia? That big old rock in Australia because of the Rescuers Down Under. That's right. Fuck yeah, that's right. Such a interesting Iconic. movie that I really liked. So. Lindy, or Alice Lynn Munchinson, was born in New Zealand in 1948. She moved to Australia with her family in 1969. Her family were uh, (laughs) Seventh-day Adventists. That same year, Lindy met Michael Chamberlain, who was also from New Zealand. But in 1965, Michael converted to Seventh-day Adventism and moved to Australia and graduated from Avondale College with a bachelor's in theology in 1969. The two also got married in 1969, if I did not mention that. So after marrying, Michael became a Seventh-day Adventist minister in Tasmania, where the couple's first two children, Aidan and Reagan, were born. In 1977, the family moved to Mount Isa Issa, in Queensland, where Michael was a Seventh-day Adventist minister. Because it's a little important later, I'm going to go through basic beliefs of Seventh-day Adventists as opposed to just mainstream Christianity. From Adventist.org, they have like a 28 core belief statement. Uh, There are six Mm -hmm. categories of beliefs. There's God, man, salvation, the church, Christian life, and last day events. The differences, as understood by this non-believer and all-around heathen, uh, so sorry if they're wrong, is the perpetuity, sorry, perpetuity, of the seventh-day Sabbath, meaning the day of rest is Saturday as the seventh day of the week, not Sunday, the first day of the week. Oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's like a big deal. It's like the same thing like as it's like, our Sabbath is Saturday instead of Sunday. Yes. Mm. Yeah, got it's it. A huge Sunday's day. Deal. One. Mm. Like you know, uh, on a calendar, if you buy a fucking planner and it starts with a Sunday, it drives me fucking nuts. Gotta start. <laughs> it on drives Monday, me nuts bro. when it. It makes me crazy when it doesn't. When it starts with a Monday, I'm like, Monday is not the first day of the week. Anyway, I don't have yeah. strong feelings about things that don't. It's matter. The first day I got to do shit. <laughs> so. Our day of rest is Saturday. Um, They also believe in an unconsciousness in death. The human soul is not naturally immortal. At death, the soul is essentially sleeping until the resurrection of the dead and the last judgment. Immortality. Yeah. Immortality comes from the belief in Jesus Christ. So basically, from what I understand, is instead of like you die and immediately go to heaven if that's Mm -hmm. where you're going, your soul is basically in stasis. Like you aren't conscious. You aren't doing anything. You're just sleeping until the end times come and we're all lifted up. I mean, I'm not going, but we're all lifted up to heaven. Got you. And then another difference is investigative judgment. It is the divine judgment that has been in progress since 1844 
Okay. <laughs> Which, from what I can tell, was an early date that the group determined would be the second coming. Because when the Seventh-day Adventists it. were forming, there were a few prophecies that they gave up on because they were wrong. Yeah, that's the thing. You always want to do a qualifier with your prophecy. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you're going to prophesy Christ's he coming qualified. in 1844, be like, if we're good enough. And then when <laughs> he doesn't, we weren't good enough. So instead, there is basically like everybody's got this book with everything you've ever done. So when you're up there getting ready for heaven, God or Jesus or like one of their minions, I don't know, sits down and opens your book and goes through it and actively mm-hmm. judges you on every single thing that you've ever done. That's some theosophical stuff. That's some Akashic Records stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, some MHB stuff, baby. <laughs> Yeah, the main difference is they have strong beliefs in the end times. The end times are happening. They're on their way. It is imminent. That's really the only differences that I can tell from just mainstream Christianity. However, the majority of Australians at the time were either Catholic or Anglican and thought of Seventh-day Adventist, if they thought about them at all, that they were a fringe Christian group. On June 11th, 1980, the Chamberlains had their third child, Azaria, which means helped by God. The Chamberlains had planned for a family vacation a few months later to Darwin, but Lindy had gone to Uluru when she was 16 and wanted to go back to visit. So the plan was they're going to drive to Uluru, camp for three days, and then set off for Darwin. This is all in like central North Australia, the outback, like Mm -hmm. deserty, big rocks, that kind of place. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess people were just different. It's a 17-hour car ride, by the way. From Ooh. where they live in Queensland, it is a 17-hour road trip just to Uluru. Yeah. Uluru, it's it's in, like, the middle. Literally the center. Middle. Mm-hmm. It is right in the middle. And what's oh, around it? Nothing. Literally nothing. Dingoes. It's very, it's, it's very, um, the land around there is not very arable at all. And it's very, no. very dry. It's like yeah. around like Alice Springs is around there. And whenever oh, Alice Springs, we're in Australia in the summer, the place, weather yeah. reports in Australia are like, and by the way, it's like absolutely eyeball meltingly hot in Alice Springs right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can imagine a 17 hour car ride because when I was 10, nine members of my family piled into a single van and drove from Baltimore to Orlando. Do not recommend. Do not recommend. But my point is, this is a long ass road trip with two little boys and a nine week old baby. Cannot comprehend. I am so tired all the time. I don't understand how people do these things. I'm tired to just absolutely kill me. Especially like, like Lindy is my age. She's 34 when this happened. And I'm just like, what the no. fuck is like how can people do so much? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> like, I'm exhausted by thinking about this road trip. Anyway, I think they take a few days because they leave on August 13th and they arrive late in the night on um August 16th, 1980. They get there, it's nighttime, they just camp for the night, and then the next day on the 17th. Michael takes the boys climbing while Lindy and Azaria explore a rock formation called Fertility Cave. Dangerous. That just all sounds dangerous. So apparently she was holding the baby the whole time, which I'm just like, don't your arms get tired? I just, anyway. So Maybe she had a baby Bjorn. I don't know. 
I don't know. It doesn't say. It says that she was crazy, like, holding her. Like, all of this thing, not just now, but, like, at other times, it's always Lindy is holding her. Which I get. Wow. She's nine months old. She's 10 yeah. pounds. Like, you know, she's brand new. Just outside the cave entrance, Lindy looked over and saw a dingo staring at her intently. Mm. However, it goes about its business, and they tur- go back to camp. So... That night, the 17th, uh, they are at their campsite at the barbecues and a bunch of other families. Like, there are at least three or four other families. It turns out there's more than 300 people in the area, which is just Ooh. so many people wow. in the desert. That's actually a lot night. of people. A lot. So wow, it's what a is ton. it, an independent bookstore in Lancaster County? That's a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is exactly what it is. That night... Lindy and Michael were gathered with the other families, including Greg and Sally Lowe. They were another couple camping with an infant. I just don't understand. No. It's no. a lifestyle choice for sure. I just think about the one time my dad took us camping when we were kids. We barely got the tent out. We stayed inside eating snacks. Now, Actually, I don't know if that was just me and they were doing stuff and I just decided to stay inside and eat snacks. But anyway, either way, the tent wasn't waterproof and it poured all night long. So we had to pack up and go home in the middle of the night. But again, I don't come from outside people. So maybe this is normal for outside people to carry an infant around. I don't know. Around 8 p.m., Sally went to throw away some garbage from the site. And when she turned to go back, she noticed a dingo was following her four or five paces behind her when she got back to camp michael was entertaining aiden the oldest their oldest child by throwing some bread to a dingo and i don't know don't if it's do that same. enough with the dingoes family they look like much, dogs they are not dogs here's the thing we had a much different understanding of dingoes before this and it changed because of this So, so yeah, so people generally believed, and for good reason, mostly, that dingoes were not dangerous, that they were mostly scared um, of humans, and they stayed away. And that was mostly true. That's why, like, they're so cool around the dingoes. So, anyway, he throws a dingo some bread. I don't know if it's the same dingo that was following Sally, but Lindy yells at him and says, you shouldn't encourage them which is just a little weird. Around this time, Lindy tells the group it's time to put Bubby down. Bubby was Azaria, which is very cute. She had been described as holding to her chest all evening. Regan was in the tent sleeping. Azaria was put down in a little bassinet and it was very close to where everybody was standing. So Lindy goes back to the group and only a few minutes later, the group hears a piercing baby scream that was cut off. So it didn't have a full scream. Oh no! From the area of, of from the area of the tent. So Lindy just pops up and starts running. Obviously, that is when the group hears the infamous cry: "My God, my God, the dingoes got my baby!" Oh, oh, chills. I can hear Meryl now. Yes, that's right. It was Meryl. I yes. didn't even know. I'd never even heard of it. I never saw it. She screams and she said she saw a dingo running off into the night from the tent. I don't know how Frank Morris, the first investigator to arrive, gets there. Somebody obviously called the police or the park rangers or whatever. 
He's the first investigator to arrive. He shines a light across the floor of the Chamberlain's tent where he noticed blood on one of the rugs. And I just, I don't know if he means an actual rug or if rug is Australian slang for something else, but he also saw clear paw prints that led away from the entrance to the tent. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, when he followed them, they stopped when it hit the road. Nearby, older brother Aiden cried to Sally Lowe, the dingo has our bubby in its tummy. Which oh, is no. sad. Oh, oh, that's that so is. sad. Aiden. He's like, no. he's like six or seven. Oh, he's our bubby in his our tummy. Our bubby in his tummy. And like he was inconsolable. Yeah, no shit. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be. Oh, no. Not everybody was. Oh, interesting. Somehow, nearly 300 campers, adults and teenagers, grabbed their torches, aka flashlights, and formed a human train to look for tracks or clothing. Meanwhile, Michael stayed back. He started speaking to another camper, and she had already assumed the worst. He said, she's probably dead now. I am a minister of the gospel, which is just not connected. There's there's Ooh, no yeah. connection to him. And that Ew, don't ever tell me that. It just sounds like somebody in trap. Also, Michael's staying back. He's so staying. did Lindy. They had the two other boys. I mean, I guess they had the other yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. His reaction is I'm going to say not typical, and neither is hers. But yeah. part of that is because of their religion that they are very fervent believers in. Honestly, that sentence to me sounds like shock. Like I just like there's a thousand things going on in my yeah, brain, and these yeah. are the two ideas that got out. Right. Like if she is dead, her soul is sleeping. I and I have yeah. to fall on my belief that, you know, once the yes. end times come and they will very soon, we will be, we will reunited. be reunited in heaven. Exactly. Murray Habby was a tourist in the search, and he was able to follow heavy dingo footprints when, and he followed them and found a large depression in the path where it seemed to put something down. Oh, but not- this path just like can't find the joy in life. And this path just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't have the energy to do anything. I know I should take a shower. I'm in a really dusty path, but like. Okay. Yeah. A depression, a depression in the sand, my love. My love. Yeah. It's a depression. adorable though. Adorable. <laughs> so. Murray called park rangers who sent Chief Ranger Derek Hoff and an Aboriginal tracker to investigate the depression. They determined that the depression had an imprint in the sand that suggested a knitted weave piece of cloth or clothing. The two tried to follow the tracks leading from the depression, but it was there was nothing of consequence that they could follow. That imprint is very important because this case, the investigators are obsessed with this matinee jacket, which I don't know. I didn't know what that was. And I looked it up and it's just a cute little baby jacket. It's just like a, Mm -hmm. it's just what they call a little baby jacket. And it's, it's Uh like, it's not crocheted, but you know what I mean? It's like knitted. It's knitted. Um, but yeah, so that made them think that this depression came from Azaria based on what she was wearing. Now, Chief Ranger Derek Roth is a could have could have been a hero if anyone listened to him. Got it. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So, we yeah. know that guy in the stories. Yep. The unfortunate the guy who's been talking the whole time that no one's listening to. That guy. Yeah. 
That's the Derek. Cassandra for I was just going to say Cassandra. Yes. Mhm. Yes. For months before the incident, he had been writing to the government urging them to do a dingo call, which is like round him up and kill him. I don't love it, but it was it Yeah, was I mean not- there's wildlife callings a lot like when yeah. they're when it gets too intense. Like yes. the kangaroo callings happen, yes. I think a fair amount because there's yeah. just too dang many of them. There's too dang. I think it messes yeah. up the the balance of the ecosystem. ecosystem. It does. Mm-hmm. So he keeps telling them we need to do it. He he gets materials ready, but the call is never ordered. It's too many dingoes out there. He was he urged the call due to the imminent threat of death by hungry dingoes because even though they are believed to be gentle or scared of humans or just generally stay away he wrote that they were becoming braver and approaching and biting people in campsites and the reason is pretty simple because months before there had been a campaign in in the park because that they thought that these dingoes are coming closer to us, so you need to, you can't feed them anymore. Don't feed them, and we need them to not be in the camping area, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Ah. The problem is, for years, decades, dingoes have been happily living off the leftovers and trash left by the tourist. It was their main source of food. And it oh kept God. them happy, and it kept them away. It kept them from bothering the humans. But a hungry is, dingo, which is makes an sense. Hungry dingo, <laughs> which makes sense because Sally Lowe said when she was at the garbage cans, she saw a dingo there that followed her back. Then very suddenly, their plentiful food source is yanked away. What did they think was going to happen? The dingoes still need to eat and there's not enough mice, which is like a secondary food source they like to play in. Got it. Got it. Mm -hmm. So this is a created situation. So no, it's not good that the dingoes are surviving on trash and whatever leftovers from humans, Mm -hmm. but they took away a food source and didn't replace it. And so now dingoes mm-hmm. are getting close to people, not because they're not scared, but because they need food. And then they're like 50s cartoon style looking yes. at these babies and it's turning into a juicy, juicy steak. Yes. Literally grabbing by the skull, not no. just like around the middle, around the skull. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. This is a nine-week-old baby. The skull no. fits in your hand. So. No. <laughs> so... The first four officers assigned to the case went out for drinks one night soon after Azaria's disappearance to talk. Frank Morris, he was the first one on the scene who saw the dingo tracks leading out of the tent. He kept him to himself. He wasn't saying anything about it. John Lincoln said, not a chance. Never happened before. There's a fact you can't beat. Never, ever happened. Meaning a dingo couldn't and wouldn't. Michael Gilroy accepted Lindy and Michael's story. He noted that even though none before had been fatal, there had recently been a series of dingo attacks in the park on children. Hungry dingoes, tiny humans. It doesn't make sense. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) 
So Lincoln scoffs and he says a dingo couldn't carry a 10 pound baby hundreds of yards away in its mouth. To prove his point, he leaves the room and returns with a pail full with 10 pounds of sand, which he proceeds to support in his mouth with the his handle, mouth. his mouth, to, to sh- and he's able to do it for only less than a minute. So he oh. challenges the other officers and said, see if you can do better. As if a dingo's jaw is the same as a human's jaw. And that's proof enough for Mr. Lincoln. Wow. So, wow. That's, yep. that's science right there. So this just happened. This is the very, very, very beginning of the investigation. And minds are already being made up. A week later... Wally Goodwin was at Uluru, and while walking along a densely foliated animal path, uh, he spots shredded clothes resting near a boulder. Upon inspection, they proved to be a torn nappy, which is a torn diaper, Mm -hmm. which in 1980 would have been a cloth diaper, and a jumpsuit, a baby's jumpsuit, like a onesie. So he reported the discovery, and Frank Morris arrived and collected the evidence. Now, this just happened on August 17th. So this is barely 10 days later. August 28th, Detective Sergeant Graham Charlewood takes over the investigation. And that's where things go downhill fast. So Gilroy, remember, he's the one who believed them. He believed that the dingo took the baby. And that's the story that made sense. However, Charlewood is reading over Gilroy's report. And all he cares about are these little tiny issues or inconsistencies or things that he doesn't understand. Gilroy notes that Lindy dressed Azaria in all black for a medical checkup. I don't know what this is referencing. I don't know if Lindy told the investigator this or showed or Lindy showed a picture or if it was a medical exam that had happened at the campground because she was a baby I don't know. Or if maybe at this point they had talked to a pediatrician, Hmm. which doesn't make sense. But anyway, they noted that a baby was dressed in all black. And I was just like, so what's your fucking point? And then I remembered it is 1980 and we are just crescendoing. We are just coming into our satanic panic. Oh, my God. So her being dressed in black. Black. Means a lot. Oh no! Shoot. And they're in a fringe oh, religion. Didn't see that coming? Oh, and they want the end times, so they're gonna what? Sacrifice? They're gonna sacrifice their baby to bring about the apocalypse. Is- Damn it! What are dingoes what? like? Hellhounds or something? Yes, obviously. Oh God! He also noted that Azaria's clothes that were eventually found were found close to where the family hiked earlier that day. Which, again, I don't know what the significance of that is. but Circumstantial. Well, right? it's saying, here's the thing. Circumstantial and direct evidence have the same weight under the law. There is True. no difference. Sure. So, But the, what they're trying to say is that they went hiking earlier that day and decided this is where we're going to put the baby. Yeah. After we murder her. Finally, Gilroy notes that people who were with Lindy that evening only assumed that Lindy was holding a baby because she was holding a white bundle close to her chest, but nobody could say that they actually saw a baby. Oh my God. Yeah. They're like, oh, you faker, you faked it. Oh my God. The whole time? The whole time? The whole time? time? Daniel. Sally Field should have been all over this. 
Sally Field should have been in that movie. True. Listen, we needed (laughs) needed some righteous indignation, and she's the one to give it. We needed some Norma Ray. (laughs) Yeah, or some Steel Magnolia, too. Oh yes. yeah! Yes. Oh, the graveside. I just yes. hit him. Hit him as hard as that. God, <laughs> If there's any doubt that this is a queer podcast, we're talking Meryl. We're talking Sally. Fields. Sally. <laughs> All the the hot hits. All yeah. the icons that shaped seventies and 80s movie yes. references. <laughs> so by this point, the, the people, investigation. The people, the people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's iconic. She deserves all the airtime. Yes. In places all around Australia, from laboratories to wildlife parks, investigators conducted experiments testing the veracity of Lindy's account. They tested blood, vegetation, hair samples found on Azaria's clothing. Even more fun was that some dingoes were rounded up and shot to look for evidence of human bone or tissue. They also covered meat in nappies and threw them out to dingoes for some anecdotal evidence that she is or is not lying. Essentially, this is the sticking point. Were the tears found in Azaria's clothing from a dingo or a human instrument like scissors? From all of this weird anecdotal investigation and quote-unquote forensic information, the police were building what they thought was a strong claim against Lindy. As soon as the story hit the press, the media immediately decided that Lindy's story didn't make sense, that she was lying, a dingo did not take her baby, and she absolutely killed Azaria. It's like such a leap from just the the uh, assumption that a dingo wouldn't take a baby. It's just like, no, you know what sounds more likely is that this whole thing is faked. <laughs> the reason is simple. And it's not just because they don't quote unquote believe her. She had two things going against her. First of all, or three actually. First of all, she was from New Zealand, which would have been a problem at the time. And they were from Queensland, which the rest of the country apparently looked down on. And she was a Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, so she's different, different, and different. Different. So she's not from here. And she's she not one of us. Haircut. She actually did. It's okay, yeah. though. It's not good, but it was the time. It's not the best. <laughs> it is not beautiful. the best. <laughs> it is just like a, it is a helmet. She's got beautiful hair. <laughs> so from there, newspapers and news channels were reporting rumors as fact. Lindy and Michael killed Azaria as a religious sacrifice. Now, the Jonestown Massacre, which will mm-hmm. be a future subject of the pod, um, had only happened two years before in 1978. It was seriously reported that the Chamberlains were connected somehow to Jonestown. Or in the alternative was that Azaria was murdered to atone for the sins of the Seventh-day Adventists. So like all of them. And most damning for the Chamberlains was that they did not act properly. They didn't act as everyone thought grieving parents should. And again, part of that is their religion. Like, I don't get it. I don't, whatever. I'm not living my life by it. But they truly believed the basis of their religion is that the end times were coming now and that they were faith. It's, it's considered fatalistic by some, the religion. So no, they weren't acting out. 
They weren't hysterical. But I mean, in interviews, she's choking up. She's when she's telling the story, when she's talking about the the prints that are leaving the tent, when she talks about any of it, she's she's calm. But like mm-hmm. when you talk about like when she realized the baby was gone, she's like upset. It's yeah, just like she's upset. And people people it react to matter. shock very differently. Because you know what happens in shock? Sometimes people cry. Sometimes mm-hmm. people laugh. And sometimes people don't react at all. And they're or they react in a completely unexpected way. We cannot, and this is just a good note for society, base the reactions of others off of our, the experiences of ourselves. It doesn't match and it doesn't matter. How I react in a situation has nothing to do with how Lindy Chamberlain would react in a situation. But it was damning. So from the first police interviews, October 1st, 1980, Charles Wood conducts hours-long interviews with Michael and Lindy. They reported to be mostly cordial, uh, mainly just painstakingly going through the timeline of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be so fucking pissed if they're talking to me like I'm a fucking suspect. Oh, they but, weren't you know, I, at this point. They at this point, not yet. I mean, they're just they going through the time. Suspect. They were suspects. Yeah, yeah. They're just being like good, playing good cop nice. about it. Like, they we just want to see cop. exactly what happens. Yes, and see if we can take our not evidence and do with it what we want to. What happened, though, was he took an unhealthy interest in Lindy's reaction to the suggestion that she be hypnotized to pull out additional information concerning the sighting of the dingo outside the tent. Because for whatever, they just would not believe her because that would be evidence that a dingo was at least in the tent. In response, Lindy gets very upset. And she says, the church wouldn't allow it, and I wouldn't do it. God slew Saw for that. Do you know about Saw and the Witch of Endor? Which I looked up. It's like a medium person, and, like, they try to... Saul tries to bring back a spirit of somebody else, and it turns out to be stupid and bad. So anyway, Hmm. on religious reasons, she, she would absolutely not do that. And he became obsessed with that response. The first coroner's inquest which is a death investigation, was held in December 1980 with the Alice Springs Coroner's Office. This is, a for people unfamiliar, this is a full court hearing. There are witnesses, there is evidence presented. Ashley McNay was the prosecutor for the state, um, and she said that Azaria's clothes were not torn off by a dingo, but they were placed on the ground by humans. She asserted that the tears were more inconsistent with scissors than dingo teeth. Unfortunately for Macnay, she failed to portray Lindy with the will or motive to kill her child. The results of the first inquest were televised. Azaria met her death when attacked by a wild dingo whilst asleep in her family's tent. Neither of her parents were in any degree whatsoever responsible for her death. The body of Azaria was taken from the possession of the dingo and disposed of by an unknown Uh. method by a person or persons unknown. Oh, wow. That that last sentence is the reason why this didn't just go away. Because it should have. Yeah. Conclusions should have discouraged further criminal investigation, uh, but it absolutely did not. 
Uh, the God. police and the media had decided Lindy murdered Azaria long before the results of the inquest came out. September 19, 1981, police conduct a four and a half hour search of the Chamberlain's home, seizing over 300 items from clothing to scissors to the family's car. Charlwood at some point tells Lindy that the search was prompted by forensic evidence that was sent to a British forensic expert, James Cameron. Not that one. Uh, Not that one. Avatar himself. (laughs) Before Avatar, this is what he was doing. Titanic. He was working on Titanic killing babies. James Cameron, who determined that there was no way way. a dingo was involved with the investigation. To which Lindy replied, I didn't know there were any dingo experts in London. Okay, that's sick burn. Solid burn. She's not her first one. It's not her last one. She's very, she's smart and she's witty and she's dry. And I love her. Like, <laughs> does it help your case no, to no, 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 no. have such <laughs> like absolutely scorching reads? No. Do I love not it? Not of the police yes. who are charging you. Does it help pass the time? You betcha. Sure. You betcha. <laughs> November 1981, Chief Minister... Everingham, AG for the Attorney General for the Northern Territory, filed a motion to quash the first inquest based on blood found in the car. The request was granted due to the presence of a large amount of, quote, fetal blood found in the family car. It was all over. Fetal blood is basically, we all have fetal blood before we are born. It's how we breathe. Then as we are born, we breathe air and our body converts to regular blood. I am not a scientist, okay? Something about hemoglobin. Regardless, adults, like now, you and I, we have about 2% fetal blood in our bodies because we were fetuses at once. But so they're saying that they found fetal blood in at least 22 different points in the family's car. It was granted. And the second coroner's inquest, Des. DES Des Sturgis, a barrister, was assisting the coroner, made his theory clear from the beginning. Lindy Chamberlain took Azaria from the campsite to the family car and murdered her by cutting her throat with a sharp instrument, most likely scissors. Where Can did I- they get this? They don't have a body. That wait, where did they get any of this theory from? Most likely scissors. I don't Okay. I made up out of thin air. It's because of James Cameron. His is every James said, Cameron an idiot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so unless you're a listener of this show, in which you're not, and we love you, no, because his claim was that the tears could not have come from a dingo. And oh, got it, got it, got it. So it had to be. It was cut by a human it, instrument, likely to be scissors. Oh, that's so, still fucking nothing. Then wait. Then, but was there? But what about the baby cry that everybody heard when the, Lindy yeah. was in their presence? When Lindy if she wasn't was already there. dead, yeah. If she was already dead, um, how'd that baby cry? Don't ask me. It wasn't a baby. It was actually that was a dingo. That sound was mm-hmm. a dingo. But the baby was already. That's so stupid. Yeah. Based on James Cameron and the scissors, there were scissors found and the blood in the car. Lindy was charged with first-degree murder, and Michael was charged as an accessory after the fact. Don't know how, but uh, whatever. Trial commences. 
September 13th, 1982 would last for another month and a half, even though there was no body, there was no motive, there was no witness to murder. What a fucking waste. Oh, by the way, Lindy is seven and a half months pregnant with their fourth child. Ooh. Jesus. Yeah. And you know that the prosecution's like, she's go- they she's didn't only like doing that it for sympathy. Baby. Now it's a second replacement baby. No, this is a sympathy baby. That is exactly what they said. They said it, they called her a replacement baby. Yeah. That's disgusting. It is. Disgusting. That's so disgusting. It's disgusting. 1981, Australia do better <laughs> australia america we all come from the same legal system thanks england so it's not surprising <laughs> as always fuck you england yeah as always thanks colonialism the prosecution asserts that instead of putting azaria to bed lindy went to her car and cut her throat they said they had no idea what the motive was and they didn't care because lindy's story about a dingo was quote a fanciful lie calculated to conceal the truth Where's the blood in the car then? She goes yeah. to the car, slits the baby. Where's the blood in the car? There's, there are 20, it's going to be bad, but there are 22 points of fetal blood found in the car. That is the main basis for her arrest. So Sally Lowe testified that Lindy had only been away from the group for six to 10 minutes, too short a time for her to murder Azaria, hide the body, and clean the car. Yeah. And not get any blood on her, even though it's supposedly yeah. splattered all over the inside of the car, but there's nothing on yeah. Lindy. Yeah. Well, the inside of the car is probably the worst possible place. Yes. In an open area full say, of in an in, in a, a wasteland. <laughs> like, this is so stupid. This theory is garbage. <laughs> it is. On cross, they tried so hard to get her to say that she didn't hear the baby cry, but she was emphatic. She heard the baby cry and it was, and it was cut off before it was finished. There were tons of other witnesses. Greg Lowe, uh, Sally's husband was asked if he noticed the Chamberlains cleaning the car that evening, because the prosecution said that had to happen because otherwise people would have noticed the bloody fucking car. Um, and he said there were a lot of people around. And if that was happening, like 10 people would have noticed. So no. So Amy Whitaker was another camper. She didn't help so much. Whitaker testified that minutes before the supposed attack, Michael Chamberlain had appeared at the doorway of her camper and announced, quote, a dingo has taken our baby and she is probably dead by now. Whitaker was trying to comfort Lindy and she said, mm-hmm. whatever happens, it's God's will. Ugh. She also described Lindy and Michael as walking alone together into the bush for about 15 or 20 minutes, a time which the prosecution says is where they buried the baby, when they buried the baby. It's such a stretch. It's all just such a stretch. It's not, it's not evidence is what it's not. It is not evidence I mean, of anything. like... Yeah, it doesn't make it more likely than no. not. No, that it doesn't. Which is they the are guilty rule. of this thing. And no, again, yeah, like not really. That's the that's the rule for relevance. It's if it's if it's a fact right. that makes it something more likely than not. But like that's yes, it cannot be more prejudicial than helpful. And none of this. Yeah, was helpful. there's a lot. There's was, there's various. Yeah, there's various sure, rules around that. General, and also this is a different legal system. So who yeah, knows? 
And it it just doesn't make it like it doesn't seem super relevant other than they didn't. Well, it it's care enough. Yeah, they they, their attitude towards the death of the baby wasn't proper or whatever. And and then they, they were gone for 15 minutes. Yeah, and the the prosecution says they were gone. They absolutely killed their baby, and this is how they get Michael, just based on this, on, as an accessory after the fact. That's where the theory goes, is that in this 15, From 20 a walk, minutes, 15 minutes, they were burying their baby that Lindy wow. had just murdered. Did they have, like, a bunch of dirt on them afterwards, or? Nothing. Nothing was said about that. The prosecution paraded over 20 so-called expert witnesses who all said the same. The tears could not have been made by a dingo. A dingo could not have taken Azaria. A dingo could not have killed Azaria. James Cameron was the state's most damning witness. On Though on cross, the defense was able to get him to talk about prior cases he worked um, with the prosecution where he helped incriminate innocent suspects. This is not his first Ooh. rodeo, y'all. Nice. It didn't matter. It wasn't enough. And on October 28th, 1982, Lindy was convicted of first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. I only knew the, like, dingo ate your baby. Yeah, no, that's all I knew. And I didn't know anything about there was an actual conviction for this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, well, also, it was such huge fucking news. And it's such a, the The allegations are so intense. was so excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basket. Any jury is going to be keyed up. Yeah. So Michael was also found guilty being an accessory after the fact, though he got a suspended sentence, which means he didn't spend any time in jail. Oh, and he retained okay. and oh. he retained custody of their three children. Isn't oh. he just as religious as her? Yeah. But he, they, everyone just assumed Lindy murdered the baby because she stepped away from the group with the baby and then the baby died. So obviously Lindy murdered her daughter. And then to help clean up the mess, Michael comes in and helps bury her on that 15, mm. 20 minute walk away from the group. Less than a month after her conviction, Lindy gives birth to her fourth child, Kalia, or Kalia, K-A-H-L-I-A. Lindy mm-hmm. was actually released on bail pending her appeal. Yeah, good. Her appeal was denied in April of what? 1983, and she Fuck was off. sent to prison in Darwin. But did oh, they yes. actually do, like, is there a higher, there's got to be a higher court to go to. That's crazy. It, it doesn't do that until much later. Yeah. The media, however, began to turn because they began having doubts about Lindy's guilt at all and started questioning the forensic evidence which helped spur on the Free Lindy movement. So just a yes. bunch of... Yes, Free Lindy. Most importantly, that the, caused the media to change their tune was a report that showed that all of the blood all over the inside of the car, more than 22 distinct spots, right. was not only not fetal blood, it wasn't yeah. blood at all. Fuck God. Oh. It was paint yeah. emulsifier. Oh my God. Oh my fucking God. Do you know why? Because the forensic tester, the lab lady, it was like, she was brand new and they just told her to do it and she did it wrong. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. She, she was doing what she thought she knew how to do. 
Oh my god. So yeah, that's why when you were when I was like, well, where's the blood in the car? I had forgotten about those alleged like the spray points, yeah. the spray. So if there's and, no oh blood god. in the car, yeah, then, then where's all the blood from the murdered baby? So right. there's no way within six or seven minutes she could have nope. perfectly cleaned a car no, in the middle of the ten, outback. Six to ten, so that extra three minutes she could really get down and clean that car. And you know Yeah, it. but also that well, that six to ten includes the walking there and back mm-hmm. and includes <laughs> yeah, the killing and the includes murder the and the cover so up. All and of the, those getting things. The blood there's no off fucking me. way. There's no, no goddamn way. No. So more than 100,000 Australians get together and sign petitions demanding Lindy's release. Though the country itself was split 50-50. 52% of the country still believed that she murdered her baby. I mean, yeah. I, that, I, I totally believe that. I believe that. Like, I do Because then you're like, well, we can't. I can't have gotten it wrong. I can't have, like, yeah, sat no, they've so already dinner saying. tables saying, no, like, they've fuck already, this bitch Lindy. They've already demonized her. They've already called her crazy cult Satanist and all of that other bullshit. So in 1986, Lindy has been in jail for five years, Mm. but hiker David Brett falls to his death from Uluru during a climb. Eight days later, his body is found below the bluff where he fell and it was filled with dingo lairs. Police scoured the area looking for some missing parts of David Brett. um, Oh, God. And instead, they found a Zarya's matinee jacket, which I told you, the prosecution was obsessed with this jacket. With the jacket. With the jacket. And the fact that Lindy said she was wearing a jacket and a jacket wasn't found. Mm -hmm. Therefore, she's lying. And then there's the fucking jacket in where a dingo lair. A dingo lair. Interesting. Fucking interesting. It's like she was telling the truth the whole fucking time. Oh, my God. Miss. Mm -hmm. I'm fired up. Between the jacket and the lack of blood in the car, the Crown had no choice. Lindy was released from prison on February 7th, 1986, and she walked out wearing a pink dress and sunglasses and coolly got into a waiting limousine, which, like, how else are you going to leave prison? Like, like, seriously. God damn it. Yeah. Would that everybody can leave prison in style like that? Jesus fucking Christ. Dressed in all pink, Sonny's on, get into a limo. We didn't didn't Joe Exotic have like a limo waiting oh, yes. outside the sure prison did. for him yes, for did. just in case Donald Trump pardoned just in him. Case. <laughs> so Joe Exotic got the memo. Just in case. He it knew. had Trump 2020 on it, too. <laughs> that I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so after she is released. Justice Trevor Morling releases a 379-page report blasting the prosecution's witnesses, specifically Joy Call, who was the forensic evidence who incorrectly identified the blood, James Cameron, and other less important ones. He placed great weight into the witness accounts from the other campers. Quote, it is extraordinary that persons at the barbecue area at the time of and immediately after Azaria's disappearance accepted Mrs. Chamberlain's story and noted nothing about her appearance and conduct suggesting that she had suddenly killed her daughter. I am right. far from being persuaded that Mrs. Chamberlain's account of having seen a dingo near the tent was false. 
And if the evidence before the commission had been given at trial, the judge would have been obliged to direct the jury to acquit. Right. Because right. if it's, if, if this was there, if, if they knew this is classic, absolutely yeah. classic, newly discovered evidence. Oh yes. So the, the jacket, absolutely classic, newly discovered evidence could not have been found in time. Uh, of within they like didn't 10 do days anything trial, wrong. Whatever. They were just protecting the people of the Northern Territories. Oh fuck off! And the uh, the the forensic stuff. None that's of it was fucked up. None of it. Not a single thing was legitimate. Not a single thing showed anything. Yeah. So if if they knew then what they yeah. know now, no, there's no. absolutely there, no way that could... any reasonable jury could convict them. Yes. So September 15th, 1988, eight years after the ordeal, the Northern, the Northern Territory Court of Appeals unanimously quashed all of the convictions against Lindy and Michael. Later, Lindy wrote a book about her experience, Through My Eyes, which was turned into the movie A Cry in the Dark, starring Meryl. Mm-hmm. Yes. Excuse me. As Lindy. Unfortunately, the uh, Chamberlains, this ruined their marriage, obviously. So. Yeah. They didn't, they split amicably. They were awarded $1.3 million in 1992. And I'm praying that that is a lot more money than I think it is because number one is it's Australian dollars and number two, it's it's 1992. 1992. So I'm pretending that is a huge, crazy amount of money. So I don't get upset because it doesn't sound like anything. (laughs) No, no. Um, Also, Let's uh, shout out legends and handsome man Sam Neill, who plays Michael in the movie. Indeed. Oh, does he? Yes, he does. That's right. That's right. In the aftermath, they split and they both remarried. Lindy actually moved with her new husband to Washington State and eventually uh, gained custody of the of the th- of their three children. But they visited mm. back and forth often. Okay. And then Michael ended up having another daughter with his second wife. And he died in the early 2000s. There were two other inquests performed after the exoneration, most recently in 2012. They just why? can't fucking let it go. Just and, fucking uh, why? Yeah. But overall, wow. they have been able to live mostly normal, mostly quiet lives. Good. Still good. I mean, there's tragic. no fucking way any marriage no, could survive nothing makes, all of that. No, no, you can't. You can't. And no, it's a national tragedy for a m- number. Everybody of knows your face. Like every, there's no way. 50, yeah. People today still believe that she murdered her baby today. But that's forty. Yeah. Forty years, more than forty. Forty years later, they still that's believe so that she is guilty. Insane. But yay! Thank yeah. you, Miss. I appreciate that is the story of the false imprisonment and exoneration of Lindy Chamberlain. Wow. I had no fucking idea. This makes me want to watch a cry in the dark as well. Me too. To see Meryl's terrible Dorothy Hamill haircut. Oh, yeah. So bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a good ass movie. It really was. It really was. But and, yeah. And yeah. I knew that she got arrested and I knew that she got exonerated um, after being sentenced. I'm glad that she did, but it was only after the guy's body was being found. Had it not been for that hiker hiking to right. his death, she would still be in prison. She would to absolutely this day. be in prison. Yeah. Wow. She would be in prison to this day. But yeah. Uh, Edie, you got anything to lighten the mood? <laughs> uh, do I ever. Listener, 
I have an extraterrestrial treat for you today. We love it. <laughs> Edie. Oh, that was lovely. Thank you. Today's subject is The Stranger at the Pentagon. And our main source is a book by the same name by a guy named Dr. Frank Strangus, spelled oh. Stranges. Strange. It was Strangus. But it's, I think it's Strangus. I've heard Strangus. I've heard Stranges. I've heard various. I don't even know. I don't know if it's this guy's real name. I don't know. Well, anyway, Dr. Strangeness. Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness wrote this book, originally published in 1967 and updated in 1991. Was it self-published? I'm not sure, but it absolutely has that feel, baby. (laughs) Definitely. Love the feel of a self. Love it. Just did a three ring binder. (laughs) Well, the entire PDF of it is available on my favorite website, Bibliotheca Pleiades. A wealth of resources. So Dr. Frank is a reverend who is super into Jesus and super into UFOs. Okay. I love a crossover. It's a big, big old crossover. And he wrote this book about a very special man with a very special message. I hate this. I don't like the way you're saying that. (laughs) Picture it. Alexandria, Virginia. 1957, a spring Saturday morning, a spacecraft, 300 feet in diameter, lands in a field. Out of the craft steps a man. Well, I know this. What looks like a man. I know, Kevin, I know that you know this because of a specific reason that I will get into in a minute. I know that you know this. Keeping it mum. I don't know anything. Miss, you might know okay. this so Kevin far, absolutely know. does for a very funny and very gay reason <laughs> I can't wait <laughs> so this man is met by two police officers guns drawn but the strange man telepathically communicates with the officers quickly assuring them that he means them no harm the officers felt his energy and knew that he was good and the man asked to speak to the president <laughs> I'm here to speak to the American president. Take me to your leader is the most common alien thing to say. It's 1957? Yes. Who's the president? Cops. Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower. Eisenhower? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. The cops escort him to Washington, D.C. and they radio ahead. There, the mystery man is met by the secretary of defense and six of his staffers Obviously. The man communicates telepathically with all of them, so they're all immediately on board. And Good. soon government officials from tons of different agencies arrived on the scene, and they're each clamoring to be the ones to escort this man to President Dwight D. Eisenhower. <laughs> this man from outer space is called Valiant Thor. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I do know who Valiant Okay. All right. <laughs> now, okay. Kevin. I Kevin, know Valiant how Thor. do you know... Valiant mm. Thor. I know Valiant Thor from Ryan Murphy. That's right. American Horror Story, season 10. Red. It was t- Death Valley. Death Valley, thank Double you. Double feature. Cody Fern played Valiant Thor. He was cute. Now, okay. I did not know this until I was researching this really? story <laughs> and saw 
like the uh, fandom wiki for American Horror Story being like, oh, and Cody Fern plays a version of Valiant Thor in American Horror Story. And I'm like, Ryan, stop getting your fingers in the things that I like. <laughs> and it was such yeah. a bad season. It was so stupid. It could have been so good. I fucking skipped it. I, after, I know. After blue haired Evan Peters humped a TV when Trump got elected in the cult season, I was done. That moment, I was done. Like, I'm not doing this anymore with you, Ryan Murphy. Yeah, we're not here for this right now. Kim Kardashian is going to be in the new season? Fuck off. I can't. I cannot. Even though MJ Rodriguez from Pose is also going to be on this season, I'm still not. I did. She's great. But there's no way. I'm not doing it. I, um, I could never. Kevin knows I'm not allowed. There's too many potential triggers. Oh, yeah. So I know very little... I mainly know the name and the take me yeah. to your leader. That's all. Yeah. That's all I remember. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's like the main thrust of it. His name is Valiant Thor. Mm-hmm. He comes to DC. He's arrived in DC. He holds in his hand this piece of paper that says he's a representative of the high council. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Though this letter isn't written in any earthly language, each person Val shows the letter to is somehow able to read and understand it. Well, then. So Val's escorted through some various, like, underground tunnel mechanisms to the Oval Office to see President Eisenhower. Eisenhower says, hey, we've suspended all rules of protocol to allow this meeting because the president said, I have a good feeling toward you. That sounds like something a president would say. Val's just ensorceling everyone. Mm -hmm. So Eisenhower asks Val where he's from. Val says, I come from the planet your Bible calls the morning and the evening star, which Eisenhower correctly guesses is Venus. Oh, okay. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. Venus. Yup. Yeah, that's Venus. Then another guy rushes into the Oval Office. Who is it? Get ready, studio audience, to applaud for then-Vice President Richard Milhouse Nixon. Just peace signs. I am not Just peace signs. That's all you need are peace signs and, like, just peace signs. You need, like, slurs about the Jews and you need just, that's... But he looked sweaty and gross on the TV debate with JFK because he didn't want to wear makeup because he thought it would make him look gay. Mm-hmm. Yay! Toxic masculinity strikes, strikes again. again. He's no. just <laughs> dripping on television, Rudy Giuliani style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nixon walked so Rudy could, I don't know, like trip over trip. himself. <laughs> Four seasons total landscaping is the best thing that I think has ever happened to <laughs> oh me. Oh my god, I forgot about that! It's the best. So Nothing's so ever been better than Four Seasons Total Landscape. We laugh, but think about think about how close about we it. are to still imploding as a democracy. But like we I were know, on the edge at that moment, that press conference. At that moment. It really. <laughs> and the oh world was so chuckled. Um, and things were fairly delicate in 1957 true. as well. Yeah. Very true. Val is here. Uh, assuring Eisenhower and Nixon that the High Council of Planets had been watching Earth for hundreds of years. See, for example, 
1945, when the U.S. dropped atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, unbeknownst to us, there were and still remain about a hundred spaceships surrounding our little planet to prevent a chain atomic reaction from destroying the Earth and creating a ripple effect of destruction throughout the universe. Oh, so that's nice. Thank you. Good looking out. So, like, I mean, I like you're looking out for us, but why can't we see yeah. them? Well. We were just, they were just watching for a while, but because Earthlings were taking these kind of risky actions and a couple other reasons that Val's going to go into, the High Council of Planets needed to intervene. So Valiant Thor, one of the finest leaders of the planet Venus, was chosen to make contact. So here he is, kikiing with Eisenhower and Nixon. Now, I know what you want to ask. name makes me smile. I'm sorry. Valiant Thor makes me smile. It's the best. I know what you want to ask. But what was he wearing? But what was he wearing, Edie? Well, here's what the report to the president read about it after military scientists did some tests. Physical appearance. Soft silver and gold lustrous. Fabric. Unknown. Weight. Six ounces total, including boots. Cut. Close fitting like a tunic. No cuffs, pockets, buttons, zippers, clips, buttons or hooks. are gay. It reminds me the like the the full completeness of it very much reminds me of Akon's onesie from Elizabeth Clara's fuck story, Akon also a Venusian. So I don't Oh, know. that's right. Oh, okay. I went to the singer. He had okay. like a full right. No, right. again, it's not I, the singer. I know. You should know it's better. It's not the singer, it's the I alien. Know better. When right, I'm right, talking right. Akon, I'm not talking about the singer. Got it. I should know that. Finally, the report says, RXG2 tests, indestructible. Indestructible. Because scientists tried to penetrate this material with a diamond drill bit, but the drill snapped. So they poured acid on it, and it just rolled off the uniform and burned a hole in the floor. Fired guns at it. Nothing. Fired a laser at the daggum thing. Nothing. Nothing. Daggum. So Val took to wearing regular 1950s American guy clothes. And it's not important, but I do have to tell you that Val wasn't the only one on the ship. He had a crew, and the members of his crew were uh, Don, Jill, and Tanya. So just... What? So wait. Okay. He gets Valiant Thor? And they it's get Don what? with two N's, if that helps, but it's Don, Jill, and Tanya. It's no. a little more exotic than Don with one end, but it's not Valiant or Thor. I know. I know. So well, Valiant Thor is like the hot girl of the group. And so he only has friends. He's the main Heather hot. for sure. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. That makes sense. So Val offers to help humanity, to usher us into a new way of living without hunger, without war, without illness. But Eisenhower couldn't say yes, because he said to make these beautiful changes – would upset the economy of the United States and could plunge her into the abyss of chaos. But that didn't mean he wasn't still interested. Eisenhower invited Val to stay on Earth for a while and assist scientists who were working on what Dr. Frank describes as medical projects directly associated with the space sciences. So that mm-hmm. sounds very real. It's very, I mean, it's very Truly. long, at least. Eisenhower invites Val to stay at a beautifully furnished apartment inside the Pentagon, and he'd be free to assist scientists, politicians, and military personnel, but could only stay for three years. Three years, that's it. Three years? 
Well, my, he lived my, in the Pentagon for three years. He kept constant contact with his starship, which, as we all know, is among the 100 that's just, like, always out there. And uh-huh. he teleports himself there and back, and he uses his mind powers to manifest a fake Pentagon ID badge so that he can, like, move freely in D.C. True. Two years later, it's 1959. Dr. Frank Strangus is a chaplain with clearance to enter the Pentagon. Don't worry about it. Dr. Frank gives lectures and sermons around the D.C. area. After one such lecture, he's signing copies of his book, Saucerama. Don't worry about it. Saucerama? It's adorable. Also, why does a minister have access to the Pentagon? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm a little worried about it, but it's fine. In line, there's a woman who flashes a Pentagon badge and asks Frank if he wants to meet someone special. And the next morning, he was escorted to the Pentagon where he was waved in by security, and they seemed to see a Pentagon ID badge on him where there, where there wasn't one. And he's directed to this door that has no markings on it and directed to go inside. And here's how Dr. Frank describes what happened next in his book. Being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as a mm-hmm. student of the Bible for many years, coupled with my experience as a special investigator. Don't worry about it. I felt as though my senses were functioning properly and that I knew exactly what I was about to do. I was on my guard for fakes and frauds. In walked a man about six feet tall, perhaps 185 pounds. Brown, wavy hair, brown eyes. His complexion appeared normal and slightly tanned. As I approached him, he looked at me. It was as though he looked straight through me. All caps. With a warm smile and extending his hand, he greeted me by name. Hello, Frank. How are you? His genuineness astonished me, but quickly I understood. As I gripped his hand, I was somewhat surprised to feel the soft texture of his skin, like that of a baby, but with the strength of a man that silently testified to his power and intensity. Yeah, they're making love together, right? Valiant and this uh, minister. Uh, Dr. Frank is definitely having a crisis of sexuality with baby-skinned Valiant Thor. <laughs> I mean, there is For nothing, sure. there was nothing neutral about that description. No. That is a man in love. Okay. It's absolute right. love at first sight. <laughs> yes, it is. Looking at Valiant Thor, feeling his baby soft skin with taut uh, muscle underneath. Ooh. ooh, and that handshake, baby. The sinewy muscles. Mm. But, like, why was Val there, and why was Frank involved? Well, it turns out that Valiant Thor is also a big fan of Jesus H. Christ. Oh, Oh, Jesus Henry Christ. Yeah, Jesus Henry Christ. Jesus Harry. Christ. He told Frank... Sorry. He told Frank that his purpose on Earth was to bring humanity closer to the Lord. He said that Earth people have fingerprints because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. Mm. That's why we have fingerprints? So the more you know. That's where we got them. Val told Frank, I know that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega of yours and everyone else's faith. Don't worry about it. He today has assumed his rightful position as the ruler of the universe and is preparing a place and a time for all who are called by his name to ascend far above the clouds to where his power and authority shall never again be disputed. Valiant Thor, alien warrior for Christ. That is true. Aliens for Christ right here. 
Yeah. Val also heavily implies that Jesus himself was of Venusian origin because he says that Bible passages describing Jesus appearing suddenly before his followers um, after his resurrection are really examples of Jesus teleporting, just like Val can teleport. And as Frank's book goes on, it becomes pretty clear that Frank believes that Val is an angel. Yeah, because he's in love. That's why. Because he's in sent love. Sent from heaven, yeah. yeah he's sent he from heaven handle. just for Frank. Yep. So as Frank left this meeting, Val told him that the journey ahead would be difficult. Frank would have detractors and people who didn't believe his story, but that Frank had to keep the faith. And he also told Frank that his book, Sasarama, could not have been written without <laughs> heavenly guidance. Sasarama? <laughs> Sasarama. Okay. <laughs> Also, Frank, I'm a big fan of your book, Saucerama, and God definitely helped you write it. Couldn't put it yep. down. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> Tracks. Makes sense. So at the t- coming to the close of Val's three years on Earth, he tried to convince America's top leadership of his efforts to end hunger and disease on Earth. But he was told over and over that his presence and his ideas were a threat to the political and economic structure. Even Eisenhower, who wanted to let the world know about Val and his beautiful plan for humanity, couldn't act because Womp Womp, the CIA, and the military chiefs of staff and the United Nations were opposed to it. At this point in the book, there's also like a line, a throwaway line about like certain religious leaders not wanting the status quo to be upended. And that just... Put my anti-Semitism spidey senses a tingling. Oh, no, that's just, the only like, thing that that should happen. It's the only thing that that could be. And Certain. I didn't want to go through it without it. All this cool alien conspiracy stuff, you can't get too deep into it because it's Mm-mm. it always ends up being, and by the way, the Jews are bad. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it's so wild. How did they get so intertwined? I know. I Flat care. Earth, anti-Semitic. I know. Hollow Earth, mm-hmm. probably anti-Semitic as well. We can count Ugh, on it. Anyway. Finally, March 16th, 1960, Val teleports inside his spaceship, which is called Victor One. He returns to Venus, and he's told when he gets back to the High Council, hey, you know what you got to do? You got to go back to Earth secretly and blend in. And when the time is right, you can tell the great plan for humanity to the collective national leaders of Earth, which hasn't happened yet. But Val did come back. Over the next few years, Val would materialize before Frank's eyes and they'd kiki. So like Frank's driving his car and yes, and Val just appears in the car with him. And it's not like he's just thinking of this man that he met once and fell in love with and just sees him wherever he goes. Deeply in love. In 1968, they'd even watched the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy together on a view screen on Val's spaceship. Oh, okay. They watched it on Netflix space and chill, TV. I guess. They sure yes. did. Yes. Well, apparently there wasn't, Val tried to stop it, but there really wasn't anything else Val could do but watch because Val apparently warned Bobby against running for president. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. Bobby was like, I'm going to do it. And Val's like, yeah. okay. Don't say we didn't warn you. Frank learned on his tour of Val's ship that there was a big auditorium on the ship where the crew was briefed every day after their morning Christian worship services. 
And there's a great I mean, part of the obviously. book as well where Val telepathically tells a very confused Frank how to go pee-pee and poo-poo in the spaceship's fancy toilet. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. In 1974, Frank is almost kidnapped by the men in black, future subjects of the pod, but was Uh able to escape for two reasons, he writes. One, he called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Two, he remembered some of his martial arts study and beats up the men in black. (laughs) (laughs) So for decades, Frank and Val have had a very special friendship. Don't worry about it culminating in them writing gazillions of books together. And it might surprise you to know that Valiant Thor has a similar writing style to Dr. Frank Strangus. It's because they've been together for so long. You know, you start looking like your partner and you start talking like them. I know. I know. The number of people who ask if my partner and I are siblings is astounding. It's very uncomfortable. So I'll (laughs) I'll end on this point. I'll end on this point that kind of uh, uh, harkens back to Mrs. Story, which is very fun. If Frank has been in contact with this super special extra planar being, Valiant Thor, consider this. Val Thor says he came to Earth at a time when humanity was far from God. He promised wonders, ending disease and hunger and war. He claimed kinship with Christ himself And if his advice were to be followed, earthly leaders worried about the chaos that the world would be thrown into. Bible fans, who does that sound like? Oh, Oh, that's great. I'm not a Bible fan. I don't know. Oh, no. It's said that the Antichrist will grow up in obscurity and start a ministry around 30 years old. And Uh Val appears to be around Uh 30 when he arrived in the pictures from 1957. The Antichrist would apparently gain followers by giving signs and performing miracles. Miracles like allowing people to read alien writing. Miracles like conjuring Pentagon IDs out of nowhere. The Antichrist's reign is supposed to last just over three years before Christ arrives and destroys him. Bringing about the last judgment (laughs) and the end of the world. Chaos. Wow. Yeah, 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 so my yeah. favorite possible reading of the Valiant Thor story is that Dr. Frank Strangus got he fell in love with the devil. Uh-huh. Oh, he was seduced. He was seduced by the devil. The so that is just that's a little that's bit so about the possible Antichrist Valiant Thor. Oh boy. That wow, is incredible. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you for bringing Valiant Thor back into, yeah, back into Alien emoji? Angel emoji. Still think it's a baby? <laughs> I know I'm wrong. <laughs> well, Thank the you. baby angel aspect is more about your story, miss. Yes. It actually is. Because well, the angel. baby's an angel now. An angel. Or she's in, no. she's in Seventh-day Adventist stasis until... I think so. Until Valiant Thor does his dastardly work and brings about the apocalypse. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that was very fun. Thank you so much. Truly. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Just like I had no idea um, that Ike was so big into uh, his alien friends. There's a lot lot of stories about kind of 
Ike and the this is Ike Eisenhower, not David Ike. Oh, uh, yeah, yes. But uh, Eisenhower and space. There's a really? in the early 1950s. There was a real. Um, military project called Project Blue Book that was supposed to like watch oh, for yeah. UFOs. There's uh, there's thoughts about kind of the secret space program, future subject of the pod, kind of starting around with the Nazis and then through things like Project Paperclip and Werner von Braun getting us to space, yada yada yada. And there is where the anti-Semitism comes from. Look, there's always there's but that's like that's also like. We did actually just pay Nazis to come over here and design us rockets because we oh, hated communism more than I guess we hated Nazis. Yes. Absolutely. Anyway, look, listener, if you want to be on my level, you've got to melt your fucking brain. Yeah. yeah. Really go to can. Bibliotheca Pleiades. You've got to watch videos from Gaia TV, which is absolutely melted. No. Oh, well, I appreciate both of these stories. They were fantastic. Miss, yeah. if, 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 yeah. they, if someone out there has a story about another type of stranger in one of our, you know, federal buildings with one of our elected <laughs> officials, where could they hit us up and let us know? Well, if you are such an individual, check us out on our Instagram at Creepy Inquiries Pod. Uh, send us an email at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com. Can... Um, Go to our website to look at all of our sources, creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com. And then if you're just like hanging out, um, if you could be so kind, why don't you head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and do us a solid and uh, give us a cute little rate and review. Five stars or I will simply unlock the door to the dingo cage. That's right. And you don't want that. No, you really don't. Five stars. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on episode 72 of the Dr. Phil aged episode. And until next time. Good.